0: What was your first impression as you were riding? Like, first of all, other than where am I? And then coming from Dayton and driving in 33? You know,
1: I don't know what number it was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're going deeper. It's
1: 33.
2: Welcome to the 457SEO from WAB News, a show about stories, information, and observations about Southeast Ohio. I'm Atish Baidya.
0: I'm Susan Tevin.
3: I'm Erin Payne.
0: And I'm Allison Hunter. And in this episode, we're dedicating to spending the whole time with one woman, who's also a mom, a wife, an educator, and ambassador of sorts, in the midst of a transition, one that the Ohio University community is making with her, Mrs. Deborah McDavis, the Now, I've been saying this, the Floto, the first lady (laughs) of the Ohio University. Oh,
1: wow. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for welcoming me here. Absolutely. good to be here. I'm excited to have you here, um, especially
0: in this time. So, Mrs. Deborah Moses is your maiden name.
1: Moses is the maiden name, and when Mr. McDavis came along, he took it away from (laughs) me. Took it away. Okay, but I have (laughs) to ask you, you're from Dayton. yes.
0: Are you are you kin to Edwin C. Moses?
1: No, we were always oh. we were always called ourselves cousins. And Edwin Moses's father was my eighth grade math teacher oh. when I was in elementary school. But no, we we're no no related, but very good friends. Okay. Uh, very good friends of the family. Gladys, the mom who just passed away not too long ago, mm-hmm. uh, very very close, but uh, no relation. Oh, there yeah, were a the the number of Moseses mm-hmm. in Dayton. That's okay, so correct, yes. for those who
0: don't know, hurdler, Olympic hurdler Edwin C. Moses. Uh, so, oh, Moses. Sorry. yes. Has a, a street named after him. That's Dayton. right. He's mm-hmm. from Dayton. Very so. Okay, right so now. from Dayton, did your undergrad and master's from, got it from, earned it from UD, University of I'm a flyer. There's University of Dayton. There it is, <laughs> in
1: English. That's right, in English. Actually, it was um, English and speech. English. And, and there was a little bit of radio and television, WHIO. In Dayton mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is a place that that I was familiar with uh, those earlier years when I was at the University of Dayton because I, I was a music uh, a music person. That's my passion is is music, and uh, one of the first performances that I did was at W H I O, in Dayton, uh, singing um, "I'm Beginning to See the Light" and "Baby, Won't You Please Come Home." Oh, I remember doing that as a as a young girl. <laughs> I think we can get her to sing. I mean, that's what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Will you sing any? What would you like for me to sing?
0: Oh, anything that's on your heart right now. Oh my goodness, what could I
1: sing? I'm certainly not going to sing. Baby, won't you please come home?
3: (laughs) (laughs) You could change it to Bobcat, won't you please come home?
1: (laughs) Bobcat, won't you please come home? And now I've forgotten the other part. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? no, bobcats man. come home, they're going to ask me to come back home. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you're no,
0: that's like, oh, no. But no, that here. did bring
1: some. But Dayton, Ohio is uh, is my hometown, as uh, was with the president as well. Mm-hmm.
0: You taught English on the college and high school level. Yes. Before coming here with your, as we said, your high school sweetheart, husband, father oh, of your children.
1: That is right. All of those things. <laughs> Dr.
0: Roderick McDavis mm-hmm. in 2004, when he became president. President of Ohio University. That's correct. Making you the first lady, the first first lady. We never had had an official first lady, really. Yes, that no one had that title
1: at at Ohio University
0: Hmm. before you.
1: I, you know, I'm, that's new to me because okay. I, I certainly thought when I met the uh, first lady that uh, uh, preceded the preceded us. She mm-hmm. was the one who greeted Rod and me when we came on campus for the interview. Uh, Renee Glidden. I always considered her the first lady. She was the first lady, of Oak. Right. but maybe just in some kind of I know contractual wise, maybe that's what made Shoot. the difference because okay. I was the I was the first one uh, that was uh, paid. Okay, you know to earn, right. to have a salary. So maybe that in itself right. made uh, being considered the first lady, uh, right? The, the official official one.
0: And so, and the jobs that come over because that was a new position. Not that you weren't new, you weren't new to working. You worked with students, probably the hardest yes, thing that one can do as yes. a teacher for
1: thirty-three years. I did teach uh, uh, basically college English, college English, and then I did teach some high school as well as we moved around from from place to place. Yeah. So um, um, that was very intense, and I loved it. Uh, you know, my my second passion, I think, was. Uh, Teaching, teaching English and, and speech and then the first was of course music which okay. I never pursued as such but it gives me something to think about doing now that I'm retiring, and the president isn't. Yes, because we're going to get to that. Because <laughs> I'm right. Because I'm yeah. very curious about that. Yes, indeed. I'm ready to talk about it. Okay.
0: Too. Okay. <laughs> well. Okay. Well. Okay. So I'll hold that off as a tease for a second, and then. But because of some, as the official first lady, and the duties that included. What? Well, well, tell me. What did you do? You know, what does a, you know I get Who's that first question. Lady? So,
1: what does a first lady do? you know and i think what comes to mind for most individuals is the social impact of uh, or the social influence there is that goes along with being the partner if you will of the of the president so uh, attending as well as hosting uh, numerous events uh, receptions dinners even if you luncheons, don't want to uh, okay i won't say it in this business <laughs> it's i don't think it's a matter of you don't want to i think once that contract is signed and i certainly did sign the contract and when when i was offered or when the board of trustees said that we would like for our first lady to have a, a salary then there was just no question of it is it you know it comes along with the, the territory so it works it works period
2: did you um when you were offered this, this this position, sort of contractually, did you have a vision for how you wanted uh, your role to be? What you wanted to do outside of sort of the, some of the social um, aspects of the job? Did no, you have I, a?
1: I think the honest way for me to answer that, because I had not ever come into contact with a first lady before per se, is that I knew that. I was accepting this position as the partner of my husband, of, of of the president, and that all I would be able to bring into it is the lady part. You know, the first, you know, when you put first there with lady, I think that attaches a whole nother um, level of, of, of thinking. But no, it's just, I was gonna be a partner with, with him, and what that means is um, keeping house, Going places with him, that more, and I like to use the word, and I'm comfortable using the word, domestic or the domesticated aspect of it. That's what I assumed would would uh, would would be uh, my role, which is the same thing as saying I'm just going to be me. How about that? I'm going to be myself. I'm coming. <laughs> they asked me to come, so <laughs> I'm going to be myself, and also on the job learn maybe these other kinds of roles or these other kinds of expectations that there would be.
2: Did your idea of of your roles and responsibilities as you've gone through what now, is it 12?
1: 12, 12, 12, 12 plus years,
2: yes. When you first started to, to where you are now, did you, can you track an evolution in your interests or you, how you saw your role or what you did, or has it always sort of stayed the same?
1: You know, I think it's remained... The same, at least from from my vantage point, the world outside uh, has 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 changed, um, and I guess what I mean by that is having come into contact with other first ladies, which, of course, I have done because there is an association, you know. Oh. There is a group of ladies. Oh, wow. Yes. In fact, the, uh, um, I think I'm safe to say that the three lady candidates that we're here I'm familiar with because I've met them before at the annual, um, it's called the Association for Public Land Grant uh, Universities, Chancellors and Spouses Partners Okay, uh, you know, so I, right. you know, we meet every year, so wow. I had already met these met these women, mm-hmm. who are from every college and university in that's a land grant university, uh, in the in the country. So having mingled with or met with those individuals, I certainly have become more um, uh, knowledgeable about what not first ladies do, but what the other first ladies at other institutions do, and and what that did teach me is that I was sort of on my own here. <laughs> <I sort> of, <laughs> well, and I mean, I sort of carved out my own mm-hmm. because nobody gave me a book right. that mm-hmm. said. And that gets back to originally what you said about you know you, you know maybe I was the first first lady, and nobody really gave me anything that said this is what a first lady does or is expected to do. Or I sort of just fell into it, and I see that. It's worked very well with just being what my perception of being the partner with my husband is, and that's, you know, that's been um, heightened, I think, as time has, has gone on, but uh, uh, certainly the social aspect of it, the traveling, the, the, the going, and the, the hosting uh, is very, very time-consuming. And I think that it's only right that that's probably what most folks do conceive as being what makes a First Lady is this year. It's 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um. 24-7 on the weekend. I'm going to get some weekends. <laughs> I'm going to get some weekends <laughs> left I now right? back uh, because they're all gone when you have um, – championship games to go to or events such as the marvelous week we, the event we had this weekend with the martin luther king um brunch uh, always happens on that holiday that ever, you know most people say oh we're off today no we're on right. <laughs> you know we're on so uh it's a commitment that is um that does not let up It's a commitment that does not let up. And I think I fell into it really, really well. And as long as I had my partner beside me and as long as he had me beside him, it worked. I know. That's right. It worked pretty well. Some of what you did, you worked on boards. When when folks ask me, what kind of boards have you served? I had never served on a board in my life. You know, after you teach five classes of English with 30 students in each class, you know, you don't have board time. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those years. But I had never experienced serving on a board. And the first one was the Foundation for Appalachian, Ohio. That was the first board that I uh, that I did become a member of. And I think I was there for seven years, seven years but Health Recovery Services was my pet. If, if anyone were to ask me, what would you do, what would you have established as a First Lady to, to take on as your project, as your thing? It would be working with the drug and the alcohol uh, communities. And um, that's what HRS is, the Health Recovery Services. I served on the board for eight years there, eight, almost nine years, uh, and um, discussing all of those kinds of things that have to do with addiction. Addiction.
2: What draws you to that that kind of work?
1: Having a family member, a close family member who's addicted to cocaine. And so the president and I were very, very much involved in understanding, trying to understand how to cope with that during these years that we were president and first lady. And I must say the, the Athens community has been... Um, and, and and unless one is involved in or is, uh, or unless one has someone in his family or her family that um, has this addiction problem, you know, you really don't know who to go to, who to talk to, where to be. And of course, the health recovery services was a good outlet for us. But Rod and I attended Al-Anon meetings mm-hmm. every Tuesday night. Mm-hmm so that we would be able to come to grips with how to help our loved one with his cocaine addiction. And that went on for many, many, many years. It was really getting going about the time we came here, 2004. And I must say, our dear loved one is uh, two years sober now. Mm -hmm. And a great deal of what has allowed us to Remain strong with all of the work that we have to do at the, at the university is being a part of the Al-Anon community in Athens, Ohio. So that too kept me very much interested in serving on the board, uh, so that uh, um, when it when it came to state and um, legislative policies and so forth that you know that uh, influence. Uh, where the monies are going to come from to, to, to help you know the opioid situation which is going on all of those kinds of things came to light for me during the uh, times that I served on the board here at HRS.
3: Um, I actually my whole main beat is covering the opioid epidemic oh. and recovery efforts so yes. I have a few questions. Yeah. Uh, the first um, you talked about your pers- personal experience yes. what going through that what would you offer to someone else that has a has a loved one that is suffering through addiction and how maybe offer some advice as to what you did that somebody else could recreate
1: well the first thing one does is to be supportive of that loved one you know it's easy to want to abandon someone when he or she's involved with with illegal drugs, um, serving time in, in jail, and all of those, those kinds of things, you know, one of the decisions you have to make as a family member, uh, as a relative, is to either stick by that individual um, uh, to a certain degree or either back off, you know, which some people do completely. So, uh, you know, the, the, the first thing I'd say is don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. S- stick with them. And then I think right after that, I would say find this group of individuals who is experiencing the same that you are. And, you know, when you think you have it, oh, this, you, you think you have the worst situation. You just sit amongst others who can tell their stories, which is what the Al-Anon group uh, was all about for us. So um, and, and, you know, you, you have faith. And you have stick to it. and you hope that one of these days that addictive state is going to be, um, uh, that's going to not disappear, but it's going to improve over time. It's going to get better. And for us, knock on wood, it uh, it it has done that. And we've been very outward, too, about one has to be very careful with that because anonymity. Is a very important thing when it comes to attending groups. But how anonymous could the president and I be right. <laughs> when we were in uh, a meeting with others? But you know, there was part of that that was good because others saw that you know there's there's nothing to be embarrassed about here. This kind of thing happens to to a lot of people, to everybody. So let's share. Let's share the stories that we have so that we can all um, uh, try to figure out what we can do to get through this thing. Called being a family member of a person who's addicted to a serious, serious drug drug problem.
3: Um, while you were on the board, what was something or some things that you learned about uh, addiction in Southeast Ohio that caught you off guard or maybe surprised you?
1: When when we left Virginia, <clears throat> we were just beginning to be. Uh, we were in Richmond, Virginia we were just beginning to be aware of the problem that our loved one had. Uh, So there was nothing that was surprising. I think that coming to Southeast Ohio, we could hear, or being a part of uh, Health Recovery Services, and it has such a wonderful staff and the the director there, um, there's just so much more of it. There seems, you know, you think of a big city like Richmond, Virginia, uh, but you come to a small place like Athens, Ohio, and then you really see that the, um, the incidence of the drug addiction is, is prolific. It's, it's, it's everywhere. So that was something that I learned um, uh, more about just by being here in Athens, in Athens County. And then the surrounding, Meigs County, some of the other counties surrounding, where this this problem was was um, was you, you'd think insurmountable, <laughs> but uh, it's it's not. It's something that can be dealt with. I mean, over the twelve plus years we've been here, we've certainly seen an improvement with our own um, loved one, who has experienced um, just heavy, heavy addiction problems, and now not, and and learning, just learning about the laws and the policies, and I I certainly couldn't quote any of them to you right now, but uh, even when the governor himself, Governor Kasich, involved in the policy making from the standpoint of the state and from Ohio, you realize how many people do have their stake in the, um, um, the concerns about doing um, something to help those who are caught up in this drug addiction cycle and because it hit home close to us it uh, it was something to uh, that we became a part of that it became a part of us
0: congratulations on for you and your family, yes, yes, it's good. a family
1: struggle. It's a family affair, It's a family struggle. And when you realize that there are other families that uh, need to uh, uh, that are that are just experiencing it for the first time, and they they need to be able to talk to and meet with other families who are going through the same things so that they can learn how to handle it, learn how to live with it, learn how to, Back off of it, and all of those other things that go with just dealing with this horri- horrific situation of addiction.
2: What we're talking about with the, uh, the addiction issues and how that really touched your family—is that something you've been open and talked about publicly? I feel like it hasn't been because I did not expect this interview to, to go down, sort of, to go down the, the path that we're going now. Sure. But I think it's very powerful. and I think it's very yes, important. It but is important. I, what do you think there is in the benefit of, of of talking about these issues openly?
1: Because you want to help somebody who's gone through or who is going through, who's experiencing what you do. you feel, just as I talk about it, I can feel the pain. I can feel the hurt mm-hmm. that the president and I were going through those earlier years that we were just trying to get settled into being president and first lady. And yet we had to leave town, and we had to go mm-hmm. to see if we could— could, could, could get our loved one in, in, a, in, a, in a recovery kind of uh, a situation. And, you know, so uh, uh, it's, um, uh, it's about trying to or realizing what it means to walk in other people's shoes and for other people to walk in your shoes or sort of a mutual, ext- you know, we know what we've experienced and we know there are other people experienced too. And again, a gathering, a group like Al-Anon, brings people together so you talk about it and you put it out there no shame for most maybe at first there there could be for some but it was about trying to save the life of this individual and then save our lives too right as you
0: said um excuse me earlier about here you are the president and first lady Mm -hmm. of an of a university yes and sitting in an Al-Anon meeting with anyone and everyone else, because yes. we are all the same mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. we have something in common, yes. and no one's above or no one's below. Nine. So, mm-hmm. being able to talk about it and everyone seeing you there, yes, um, I would imagine, freed up other people, saying, oh. I, "I
1: think, mm-hmm. I I think so. I I think it did." Uh, and yet again, always being aware of the anonymity. But I, I would say some of the very best friends that we have and that I'm going to miss the most are those friends that, that we made, that we had, that we, where we have shared our stories and shared those evenings on Tuesday nights in Al-Anon. It brings it together and you really do realize that we're one. It's a brotherhood and a sisterhood.
2: Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, lots more with Mrs. McDavis.
1: I have to admit this. I've never admitted this any place, so this is a first on me.
0: So aside from the friends that you met in some of the I won't say the oddest of places, but places maybe you never thought you'd be, um, yeah. and maybe backing up a bit, maybe Athens in southeast Ohio is maybe ne- one place
1: you maybe never thought you'd be. I well, you know, if I may say, the first time that I came to Athens was when my mom and my dad allowed me to come to visit my boyfriend <laughs> for homecoming.
0: What was your impression? What was your first impression as you were riding, like, first of all, other than where am I? And then coming from Dayton and driving in 33? You know,
1: I don't know what number it was. (laughs) (laughs) We're going deeper. It's 33. (laughs) But I didn't see that as I did in 2004 when we actually drove here and with my mother. My mother was 88 years old when we came here. So she she came with us. But I'm just trying to remember back there was a homecoming. I didn't pay attention. I was looking for him. Right! <laughs> I just wanted to see with him. Where's my man? Yeah, where he is. And that's what, and you know, and that my mother and father were there with me. You know, it, it, it was a really quick Hello, how are you doing? And, of course, they loved him because they, 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 they knew him and his parents from from years. And then there was a second time that I came to Athens County, and that's when Mom and Dad let me come and stay with my girlfriends in one of the dorms here.
0: Okay, okay. So
1: uh, a little bit more freedom. I still – a little bit more freedom. And I still can't tell you what Athens – I was looking for him right. again. <laughs> Focus. So, <laughs> We'll just cut that off right, <laughs> right. there, <laughs> yes. But, 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 since uh, um, seriously, until we moved here in two thousand four, and you know, having lived in Dayton, which is just what two hours away, two hours and a half, I was not conscious of the of the travel to or the 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 southeast Ohio or the Appalachian Ohio thing. I wasn't as he was. He certainly was right. as one who would commute from. Uh, From um, Athens to Dayton to come back home. You guys were high school sweethearts. Yeah, we were. Separate
0: colleges. Yes. Um, And then both at UD for masters? Were you at the same time? Yes, I had finished uh, uh,
1: after he left uh, Ohio University and I was already finished at at, uh, UD.
0: Mm -hmm. What would you say to young women? who in college maybe mm-hmm. have a boyfriend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and are moving on with their lives mm-hmm. maybe with or without you know mm-hmm. there are times when one would think there's a natural transition like like okay whoever you're dating in high school mm-hmm. is probably not the person you're going to end up mm-hmm. with you're going to separate colleges mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. generally um diverge at that point and but some don't mm-hmm. and then Okay, now you're in college and you're graduating and that's sometimes another mm-hmm. transition point. But there is, I, I mean, I hear it working with students and if they have um, boyfriends and usually I hear the women talking. I just I don't hear the guys sure, talking. Sure. That's, just, that's just how yes. that is. Um, and th- their concern about, oh, but trying to preserve relationships or mm-hmm. c- wondering if they should preserve relationships as they pursue their own
1: lives and their own yeah. dreams. I don't think I have any advice uh, as as such. I, I guess at least in terms of our um, relationship, um, I just think it was made in heaven. How about that? I didn't ask for him. <laughs> <laughs> he just dropped in. <laughs> he just came from heaven. Someplace he came in and literally that kind of relationship was uh, now after that point after the point and we were 15 and 16 when we started dating we were I was 16 and he was 15 Mm -hmm. so that tells you something Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been around a little bit you know (laughs) before he came around but that little boy trying to say something to me yeah, yeah that's exactly the way it was but my parents um my parents uh, certainly knew. And our parents knew each other. Okay. So I think we I mean, you have a little bit of background that way, you got our parents knew each other. We actually lived on the opposite side of the. Uh, I lived on Lakeview, he lived mm. on Germantown. His parents had a grocery store, and my parents had a grocery store. And so we were just, you know, that was in the heaven making part of it too, sure, I suppose. Sure. But once we did become an, an, an item, um, and my father and mother were very receptive of him. They they, they loved him. Uh, my brothers, my five brothers, loved five him. Brothers. Five brothers. So, yeah, uh, he, they he had loved to come him. Okay. They loved him as as well. My father would tell me, <clears throat> and he grew up with seven sisters. Dad had seven sisters, and then he ends up with five boys and one girl. <laughs> if, if number one, he says, marry somebody who is very similar to you or be in a relationship with someone who has a similar background, you know, whatever that means. I, You know, I, I don't know that that registered with me at that time when I was 16. But um, he said, if you're going to go down this path together, a career path together, he said, don't try to compete with it. And, and he didn't use the word compete. I wish I could, uh, Daddy. Can you help me? <laughs> I don't know what word he he used, but he he the the analogy that he used or the picture that he set up. He said, you, "If you have a doorway there," door, he said, <clears throat> "only one person can get through the door at one time." He said, "Don't try to squeeze through the door to get." He said, "Just step back." And allow the other person to do, and then you then you come on. That, that was what he said to me, which I think <clears throat> many feminists today would say, "Oh gosh." I was going to say, what now, did he this? tell your brothers that? You know, uh, you know. I don't know. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, and and uh, all I can say is that it worked. It worked for me. Uh, not to not to compete. And I'll, I'll even take that to the level here at, at, at the university. My When I came here as the, the, the first lady, uh, my notion was he this was a job he applied for. The, the presidency, I just happened to be coming along as, as a partner, a willing partner. But my desire is not to compete with him. This it, My this is his this is his baby. Mm-hmm. This is his thing, mm-hmm. I thought. And yet I got as much, if not more out of it than did he or as he. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, I'm thinking back to what my father said to me, just don't fight, don't fight. you got your thing. he's got his thing to fight. but see, don't try to compete with each other. And if you are going down that road together, just allow let let that other be willing to daddy would say let him go he says you're not going you you there too you know just let him go on don't 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 try to f-. and that has always stuck with me for some reason and I've always practiced that to this day this is his presidency and I've had the privilege of coming and that's been a pretty nice privilege I can't complain. How about that? <laughs> you know, and I, that's the, that's the part where I, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the part where I can hear my father saying, "See, I told you. <laughs> See, I told you so." Mm-hmm. So, th- in in terms of any advice, relationship, I, I think that if if you love someone, and I did love him from the from nearly the very beginning, it might. Taking me a couple of days before I decided that this thing could really be love. But if you really love him, then just give. Just give, and you get you get in return what you get. And it's and it's been that way for the two of us. It's been that way for the two of us. Uh, for the first time in and I'm sharing this with everybody. I know I'm sharing it with the with the whole Athens community. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for the first time since the time he was attending school here uh, in um, uh, uh, that's been 52 years, how many years ago? 52 years, not quite 52, 40 40 something years ago, 50 years ago, Uh, we will be separated after leaving this job. I think it's the darndest irony in the world (laughs) is that he's stepping down as president of the university and we have a retirement home in Gainesville, Florida, that we've had for four years, we lived there twenty years. Worked in Gainesville, Florida, for twenty years. So we we you know we're stepping down, and then he's taking another position. He's going off to Wash. He's going to Washington D.C. I think everybody knows that he's been so blessed to have uh, been offered this position in D.C. I'm not going to D.C. <laughs> he's like I'm retired. <laughs> I'm retiring, and he, he and he said. I never said I'm retiring. I'm stepping down. And he's stepping down. So for the first time, we're going to be living apart. And I think this will be a challenge for us, except that he's on the road all the time anyway. You know, he's been on the road. He's been on the road traveling a lot since in, in this in relationship. But this is going to be the first time he's he's going to actually be living apart for me. I'm going to be down there in that pretty little house, you know. <laughs> Our up. retirement house, <laughs> and playing my piano. He he did he he bought me a baby grand piano last year for Christmas, and of course that's my passion. Music is my passion, so I'm gonna be on that piano. So I'll sing a few songs to him, you know, <laughs> along the way. But um, he's gonna be in uh, Arlington, Virginia. He's got an apartment in Arlington, Virginia, and he's getting ready to start this new position, March the first.
0: Right. But you're like, I'm retired, I'm going I'm to be I'm retired, Florida. I'm
1: retired. Excellent. You know, How excited I'm are you? So, I, I'm, I, it's time. I'm 60, we're both 68 now. And I'm, I feel 68, I think, more than he does. How so? I think he feels maybe 48, <laughs> 38. <laughs> <38? Okay. laughs> we can go on back 28. But I feel 68. Uh, I just feel as though I've done everything that I really needed to do from a career, I think, standpoint, you know, having taught, uh, taught college English, which I loved very much, uh, loved uh, teaching, and, and stopped it abruptly when we came here in okay. 2004, uh, without a, a hassle. You know, I didn't even think about teaching, trying to find a job at OU or at Hocking College or to teach someplace else because I, I, I knew, I thought I knew, getting back to the first question that you asked me, I sensed that I'm not going to be able to do this and that too. It's a, this is a full-time endeavor. It's a full-time endeavor to be the partner of someone who heads up a university. Or a place such as this. So uh, being being the partner and being the ambassador, uh, being present, uh, being in front of a funny looking microphone like this thing, <laughs> <laughs> and doing this too—it's all good. But we've had we've had such a good life. Yeah.
2: What are you looking From forward to beginning. in retirement? What are you looking forward to? Playing I'll the spending piano your days. and singing
1: playing the piano singing, getting back to <clears throat> that which I abandoned when we first when we met at 15 and 16. I was singing in nightclubs
0: wow. when I
1: was 12 and 13 years old.
0: Wow. What clubs in Dayton?
1: <laughs> Not in Dayton, but in oh. Cincinnati was the club. <clears throat> then in Muncie, Indiana, the, the singing group that I was with, we were called the Chantes. <laughs> we were actually on the program with Mary Wells. That really? that was that was back in the day. Big deal. That's been a long, long time. My ago. mom was in a doo up group did, did you, the Chantel. She, the yes, they she were the was Chantels. the Chantelles. Well we were yes. the Chantees. <laughs> the Chantees, the Chantelles and the Ch- Right, everybody it was it was I mean, that was my life uh, as a as a person who had studied um, vocal and then learned a the piano. The piano, too.
2: So, are you just going to be singing it and playing at home, or are you planning on going out and at First, I'm going to play at ones? home
1: because I got to get these chords, you know, I got to get them. They've been out of mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. for a little while. But no, I church. Okay. Because I always did sing in, in church. And I came up in Lutheran church. Uh, it was the only African American Lutheran church in Dayton, Ohio. And so, playing and singing in the church was there. Uh, and usually, when one would think about Singing the church, you think about the gospel. Uh, The gospel was sort of there too, but not in a Lutheran church. Lutheran church is not so so gospel, but hymns. The hymns, which I I I just love. Uh, So I plan to have that as a. As a, um, a, as a starting point to, to sing in the church, to join the choir, which I never did here at our, at our Christ Lutheran Church here, never joined the choir, just didn't have time. It seemed to me I didn't have, have time to, to, to do that. But I literally want to, to sit down and sing and play and hone my talents again Any nightclub performances perhaps you know I don't know I, I don't think nightclubs I, I I don't know if you all were here when when um, uh, Maestro, I got to call him Richard Syracuse did you you probably you you know Richard Adam mm-hmm. you know Richard uh, uh, Syracuse um, he plays at the ouN you know anything I, I'd like to and I did that in Arkansas by the way when we were at Arkansas I played and uh, and sang at various uh, um, like hotels or motels mm. or places who are putting on uh, programs that that just to sing and play. How neat the sing and play. Okay, we're going to be coming. I'm going to Gainesville to, to listen. To <laughs> yes, you. yes, yes. So I've got to practice for a couple of years and oh. then I'll <laughs> then I'll then years. I'll do I, then I'll do the big thing. But no, I, it's just singing, singing to my heart's desire. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's, yeah. that. That's what retirement should be. It <laughs> should be. Yes, it should be. Yeah.
0: yeah. One of the things that well, I'll say that we have in common: you mm-hmm. your boy mom. You have sons. I have sons, uh, two boys, and yes. um, I think boy mom, uh, boy
1: moms are special. We're special people because yes, because um, yes. boys are special. <laughs> yeah, they are, and I'm very. And I have to admit this. I've never admitted this any. So this is a first on me. I'm I'm partial to boys, and that's be, that's be, you know five brothers. Hello, um, I didn't know anything but boys, and they were all nice boys and good boys that I grew up with too. And then I had a father who was very. Um, he had seven sisters, so you know I, I think he was trying to gear me in a certain type of direction, but but you know. I had five. I had uh, uh, two sons. Actually, Rod and I had three sons. Okay. Three mm-hmm. sons. Our first son was stillborn. Mm-hmm. Um, Thirty-eight years ago, January the sixteenth, mm-hmm. uh, our first son was uh, was stillborn in Gainesville, Florida, which is where I'm going. When where we're heading going back? back. Yeah, yeah. He died in utero, mm-hmm. January the fourth, 1979, and then he was born two weeks after that. So you, those two weeks—the longest days of my life. Oh my! The longest days of our lives. Yeah. But I don't know what what it was. But we we stuck together. You know, there are incidents like this that happened. That that that, that there's so many even couples that we knew at that time they 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 did it was hard on them and they couldn't keep it together. They either ended up divorcing or something. But I don't. It drew us closer together that's where that heaven part comes back in. Right. You know, somebody schemed all this stuff and put us together so that we could get through good, the, good the hard Good parts. experiences that we had. Mm-hmm. So I learned to live with death. I put it that way. I wow. learned to live with the death of and His name was Rod. Mm-hmm. He was named after his papa. Mm-hmm. He was named Rod. And he that rascal would be 38 years old if he were wow. living today. He'd be the big brother mm-hmm. of Ryan and Tony, who are the other two 36 and a 34 year old. So, true. boys, you know, you brought that up about boy. I'm just sort of, you know, I, I know what to do with a boy. With a girl, I don't know if I know what to do with a girl, <laughs> but I know that I'm looking forward to having some grandchildren okay, one of these we, days. Okay, uh oh. <laughs> so, are you are you, a, are you on your son's like so Well, so I'm not on them, but. Kind of? I'm hoping.
2: <laughs> Drop, dropping hints.
1: <laughs> I'm hoping one of these, all of our friends have grandchildren. Just today, the, just the board of trustee chair just told us he has had. Uh, we heard about the little boy, grandson he had last year. I think little Sam, I'll call him, is, uh, I forget how old, but now he's got a little Isabella. We don't have anything <laughs> yet. So that's the way I could get to my sons and say, you know, everybody's talking about their grandsons, kids. <laughs> you know, so but neither one of my boys are. Are one is in kind of a relationship, but uh, the other one is just busy. He's okay. just busy doing his thing. Yeah. yeah. As I do listen to our colleagues, who do talk about and show us the pictures of their grandchildren, there must be something very, very special about being the grandparent that we cannot yet grasp mm. or feel. <laughs> We can't mm. grasp it or feel it yet, but, but I, I'm, I'm hoping my two sons did have the privilege of having Rod's two parents and my two parents yeah. with, with them. Those two moved everywhere we went. Did they? My parents specifically oh. did. You know, they, uh, all four, the McDavises and the Moseses, moved to Gainesville, Florida. Wow, to have that so that they could be with. But they had others. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my parents already had with the five boys that are older than me, mm-hmm. you know, they had others. But for some reason, they decided to come to, to Gainesville. So they resided in Gainesville. And then when we went to Arkansas, mom and dad. Now, Rod's parents wanted to stay in the Sunshine State. <laughs> I know, my parents went to Arkansas. Then they came back to Gainesville. Then they went to Richmond, Virginia when we were in Virginia. My parents just went everywhere, (laughs) everywhere we went. So our boys really have had, they know grandma and grandpa very, very, very well. So that's going to be another thing that I'll do. I'm hoping within these retirement years is become a grandma. Put on the pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony <laughs> and Ryan. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And I don't mind being called grandma Okay, or granny, it, just whatever it is, it, is, it is. none of these little cute little oh, memes, and and. and, and, and
0: All right, we're gonna step aside for a second, and we'll be back with Mrs. McDavis, and she's gonna tell us how she wants to be remembered.
1: You're not gonna like my answer to this. <laughs> I, I do want to
0: ask um, about um, to you, because all means, we choose our identities and all of that. But mm-hmm. what does being a black woman in America mean to you? Oh boy.
2: The last question, you gotta bring it in there.
1: (laughs) It means being something that I'm always conscious that I am. I'm 68, I have never awakened and not been conscious that I'm black in America. That's the first response that I give to you. Being conscious that I am the the descendant of slaves or however else, that, that I'm in a a certain type of a situation that that pinpoints me or targets me as um, a visitor in my own land or in this land. Um, so, so the the woman part, uh, I'm not. I'm not relating to that so much or responding to that so much as a woman as i am just as a as a human being as a person it means that i am well aware of how i got here um uh, from the from the way back when time and that it it is it is in it is on my brain, in my conscience, and it's not a problem, except, and when I mentioned the first son that I had, uh, that I let go early, I mean, I let go easily, I let him go easily, I realized that when Ryan, who came along a year after the the baby, the first baby was um, stillborn, and then Tony came two years after that that when those two boys were born I cringed that when the doctor said you have a son you have right. he's a big boy he's their son I hurt on the inside because I said my God how am I going to raise this child in this society I live in and it's I don't you know going through childbirth and thinking about all of that stuff and then when I had Tony the same feeling how it's almost as if I had to take a piece how am I going to manage this even then that's 38 years ago and 36 years ago uh, 36 years ago and 34 years ago I was conscious of my being black and living in America not so much being black and being a woman a black woman just being black and living in America um, it's a certain uh, it's a certain status that you have that you live with It doesn't mean that it's bad or that it's good it just is And I'll end by saying, I've only been in one place in my life where I did not wake up in the morning and I was not aware that I was, I was unaware that I was black. And it happened in Malaysia Mm -hmm. that Gave, you know, Univ- Ohio University gave me the opportunity to travel abroad. I doubt that I'd ever been anywhere out of the United States had I not traveled to. You know, we've been to Thailand. We've been to uh, uh, Beijing. Uh, uh, just we've been to play- Malaysia, I don't know what it was about Kuala Lumpur. Malaysia. I felt the most comfortable and we've traveled there, I've been there twice, I think Rod's been there about four or five times because we have a wonderful partnership with, with Malaysia. But Malay, there's something about Malaysia that maybe, now if I ever travel to Africa, I might feel that same way. I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I think it was maybe more than that, I don't know. But I woke up in the mornings and we stayed there two weeks one time. And I felt freer than I've ever felt in my life. I didn't wake up with a consciousness that I was black in America.
0: Mm-hmm. To have that freedom, yes, that you could just be.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. that was just—it was unlike any other other place.
0: Mm-hmm. And just to—I um, don't know if that there's a good <laughs> transition from that one because that's powerful. I'm um, just that ability to be
1: somewhere and be in, And uh, not have to, and not have to not think about it. Again, I'm, I think in the morning when I get up, I'm, I'm black and <laughs> And that's going to mean something to somebody mm-hmm. and to somebody mm-hmm. else it's going to be... And I mean, I'm proud that I am. I'm proud of who I am and what I am, but it's still, it's, it's just there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, at this point, I'm just going to say... oh.
2: Can I ask one? Sure, because well, I, <laughs> I have another, okay. but, um,
0: but then we're gonna let you.
2: How do you, you said it is what it is. How what, how, what keeps you going? How do you, where does your strength come from when you have this awareness about who you are in, in this country? What keeps you strong, what keeps you going with sort of that, that dynamic that's in the forefront of your mind
1: every time you wake up? Yeah, I don't know. And I know that's not the answer that would make the best little thing here. (laughs) I don't know, but I know that I'm okay with it. So I must be here for a purpose, for a reason. I must be with. I must be Mrs. McDavis for a purpose, for a reason. I'll drag him into it too. (laughs) But um, I don't know. I, I, I keep going. Maybe the answer to that is what keeps me going is being the daughter of Mary and Clarence Moses. My parents, they were remarkable people. They were remarkable people, my mom and my dad. And that, I think that's the stronghold that, that there is in me. Uh, I, I could not have had a better upbringing in childhood. And I think President would say the same thing. Both of us have had very similar. You know, Daddy told me, marry somebody who has a background like you have. Well, you know, we were just very, very similar in our familial backgrounds and such.
0: And with that, so what's your legacy?
1: You're not going to like my answer to this. <laughs> it's your answer. I don't want one. Why? I don't need one. I don't require one. Because. because there are some people who expect that I should have one. I'm just here. (laughs) There doesn't have to be a legacy. There doesn't have to be a, when I walk out the door, that should just be, you know, there she goes. And yet I know at a university, there's there's something that that people feel as though they have to have. But I, it, if I have to have a legacy, you give it to me. I don't want one. I don't require one. Don't need one.
3: And that's going to wrap up this edition of 457SEO. A huge thanks to OU's first official, First Lady Deborah McDavis, for taking the time out of her day to come talk to us. 457SEO recently on iTunes and Google Play. You can find us by searching 457SEO. I did it myself. Real easy. It's the only podcast named 457SEO. So very easy to find. All the episodes we've done thus far are on there. And you can also find us on NPR One, the app that is put out by NPR. That features WOUB News, 457SEO, also the other fine podcast brought to you by WOUB Public Media. But specifically for 457SEO, what we need you to do is subscribe to the podcast. There's a little do button. It. Do it. Do it. <laughs> There's a little button that says subscribe. You hit that, it'll automatically give you... All of our episodes when they come out. Also, if you could give us a review, there is a section there for that. Five stars, we're looking for five stars. If you give us a five star review, you will get a personal shout out on 457SEO at this part of the podcast. So remember, five stars, and then you can say whatever you want, as long as it's constructive. Right. We are looking be, be for- Be kind. Con- <laughs> be kind, but we are looking nice. for constructive criticism. What do you want this show to be? We want your input. You can also give input on the show on social media, on Twitter, at News. On Facebook, you can find us at WOUB Public Media. And whenever you make a comment about this show, make sure you use the hashtag 457SEO. That's going to wrap up this edition of said show. Our music is done by Nathan McGuire. Big thanks to him. Our producer is Adam Rich behind the glass, making sure we sound good.
0: Producer Adam. Adam. Producer
3: Adam. And I am Aaron Payne. I'm Susan Tevin.
2: I'm Atish Baidya.
0: And I'm Allison Hunter. I want to be Mrs. Deborah McDavis when I grow
3: up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. See ya!
1: I have not Ooh. disappointed. Oh, no. No. Oh, I not hope I have disappointed. Like, okay, but you've got, you've got as much for me in terms of bearing my soul. Thank you. As anybody yeah. has Thank in these so 13 much. years. Oh, and right. I felt very comfortable Good. doing it. And it's probably because I'm on my way out. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>